We're so glad each one of you are here today. We're continuing on in our study in the, the small book of Jude. We're told to contend for the faith, and we've started to look at that. And watch out because there's some folks who have snuck in and they're sharing things that are not true, truth and, and active. And, and today we're going to have a chance to identify uh, a few things, uh, well, actually in the next couple weeks, about apostates, false prophets, false teachers, apostasy, all that kind of stuff. And so we're going to be in verses 8 through 10 this morning. Thank you, orchestra and choir and whoever else, for putting all that together. Maybe you need to just think about God's faithfulness for a minute. We've just sung about it. Maybe you need to think about the goodness of God. Have you thought about that? In a no-good world, God is good, and he's faithful. But let's not confuse his goodness with our goodness, because God's goodness is always the best. Sometimes we want what's good, right? But then God doesn't give us that. He gives what's best. And sometimes there's a little growth there, isn't there? A little tugging and all that. So we're grateful. I hope you really think about the words that we sing and what they mean. So thank you for that. And I do look forward to the day when Jesus comes back and heaven breaks wide open, right? I may be already dead, but if I'm not, I'll fly. All right? Great. All right. Enough of that. Uh, I hadn't discovered America yet, but in the early 1920s, there was a guy named Howard Carter. Anybody know him? He uh, discovered the tomb of King Tut. It took many decades to do this, but he did. And when he broke into the tomb, he found something interesting. He found this word's hard to say, sarcophagus. Have you heard of that? You, you've seen it in the movies, right? It looks like the Pharaoh kind of. So he found that, and they, they, uh, it was very large, and they finally got it open. And then guess what he found inside? He found a casket, a casket inside, and it was gold-plated. And when they opened that, guess what they found? A second casket inside. And when they opened that, guess what they found? You guys give the answer. Guess, right, yeah, another casket, and this one was 100% gold, not just gold-plated, pure gold. And when they finally opened this third casket, they found, he found and they found what they were looking for, King Tut. I know he has a longer name, but all I can do is say Tut, all right, I can't pronounce Tutankhamun or something. Was that close? Marty gave me a thumbs up, okay, yeah. So they found him, and you know what was interesting? They found him wrapped in a beautiful gold cloth with, get this, an incredible gold mask on his face. Think about that for a minute. However, when Howard Carter and his guys lifted off the mask, you know what they found? An old, withered, decayed, dead corpse. That which was on the outside had no effect of that which was truly on the inside. And I tell you that story not for a history lesson, but it's a good picture for us to see something. As we come to this section of Jude, Jude is dealing with uh, those apostates who are not what they appear to be. 
Don't just look at the outside. you got to look at the inside. And so uh, they're not what they appear to be. They came in by stealth, the Scripture tells us. They infiltrated the ranks of the people of God. And, and it was this, as if Satan could not destroy the church from the outside. So guess what? He got to work to destroy it from the inside. Isn't that interesting? Well, what about today? O.S. Hawkins, some of you know that name. O.S. Hawkins said this. Lamar did not say this. O.S. Hawkins said this. Satan is not fighting the church today. He is joining it. Ouch. Think about that for a minute. Well, thankfully, Jude gives us insight. This is the word of God. And he gives us insight into this underground world of apostasy by in uncovering what I call the identifiers. That's what I want us to look at today, the identifiers. You think about that for a minute. Today, we have a number of those, don't we? Social security number, you have one of those? Driver's license. Maybe some of you should not have your driver's license, but nevertheless, you have one. Picture IDs, birth certificates, passwords, right? Ones we've forgotten. Doesn't that drive you nuts? You can't remember your password. Even fingerprints, right? Some of you on your phone. Isn't that right? I don't do that, but my wife does that, right? You put your finger, your finger there. We have all kinds of things to identify ourselves. And Jude tells us, though, that it is not easy to identify apostates. We must look closely. We must watch out. So the big idea today is as we contend for truth, we're to be contending for the truth, God's truth. We must identify apostasy and we must refute it. We must stand against it. Let's look at verses 8 through 10. Would you join me? Nevertheless, these dreamers likewise defile their flesh, despise authority, and blaspheme glorious beings. Yet Michael the archangel... When he was disputing with the devil in a debate about Moses' body, did not dare bring an abusive condemnation against him, but said this. Look what he said. The Lord rebuke you. But these people, talking about false teachers, apostates, blaspheme anything they don't understand. And what they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, they destroy themselves with these things. So welcome to a great uplifting sermon, amen. <laughs> I hope it will be as we look at it. Let's pray. God, show us appropriate into our lives your discernment that comes from your word from the Bible. Help us to understand your truth, keeping the main thing the main thing. And not, uh, not stepping away or cowering to what someone might be sharing that's untruth, but being willing in love and grace to stand for truth and be willing to get into the arena and fight for it. So thank you, God, for these verses today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first part of verse 8 gives us identifier number one, and it's defilement. That's a name, that's a word we know, defilement. Specifically, uh, these false teachers, they're living, if you look at the scripture, they're kind of living in a dream world of non-reality, of delusion. They're called dreamers. And they're obviously living immoral lives, lives that don't fit with the truth 
because they're defiled, there's defilement there. Now, if you see nevertheless, if you look at that word, it's a connector. I want you to catch that. It's a connector in, in the Greek language. And what I mean by that is it connects what Jude said. We read last week, verse 7. It connects verse 7 here uh, with what he tells us in verse 8. Do you remember verse 7? Let's just look at it real quick. Go back and look at verse 7 from last week. In the same way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them committed sexual immorality and practiced perversions just as they did and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Nevertheless, connect it right to verse 8 to these guys, if you will. So I want you to think about that and how these dreamers are connected even back to what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. Called a dreamer. There was a boy who is having a lot of difficulty in French class. Anybody take French? I had the brilliant idea in Almogordo High School to take French. Is that the dumbest thing you've ever heard of? No offense. Why didn't I take Spanish? I had to, I knew the wrong Spanish words going to Almogordo High School, but I didn't know the right ones or the grammar or anything. But anyway, this boy was having so much trouble in French class. To encourage him, his teacher said, don't worry, you'll get it. And, and when you're starting to get it, you'll know because you'll start dreaming in French. He thought, wow. And then, sure enough, one day the boy ran into class. He was excited, and he said, teacher, teacher, I had a dream last night, and everyone was talking in French. The teacher was so excited. She said, great. She said, what were they saying? And the boy replied, I don't know. I couldn't understand a word of it. <laughs> Dreams. They are dreamers. Now, this... This word, it's not what you think, you know, beautiful dreamer, you know that song, and I'm just in a dream world. It's much more graphic than that. The word, it, it gives a picture of this, a confused state, a confused state of the soul, not just of some touchy-feely thing, but of the soul. Also, it gives us a picture of the dreamers, it was an abnormal imagination. And it's present tense here, which means it's ongoing. It's as if it's an ongoing fantasy of this abnormal, uh, confused state that affects the soul. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Dreamer, okay? Dreamer. Now, let me just say this up front. There's nothing wrong with having dreams. In fact, in the Muslim world, there are some folks who are introduced to Jesus in a dream. Did you know that? Is that not cool? So dreams in themselves aren't bad. Some actually can be helpful, but some can be harmful. Interestingly, there was a guy named Elias Howe. Anybody know Elias Howe? Anybody have a lock stitch sewing machine? I bet you do, some of you. Yeah, he was inventing the lock stitch uh, sewing machine, but the key to it got him over the hump to really make this thing work was in a dream when he saw, he saw in his dream the eye of the needle and that was the key so that was helpful so dreams are not bad in and of themselves but these dreamers that we see here are bad in fact how do we know that Jude, Jude tells us look at look at the first part there nevertheless these dreamers likewise defile their flesh so Jude tells us these dreamers they defile the flesh that's a strong word it means to sully to taint to contaminate. Ugh. 
That's what is happening. You see, with, with these apostates, there's no holy living. There's only fleshly sensuality. There's only sinfulness. Their doctrine might as well put up a sign and said, sin all you want. Someone had said this once. I wish I would have said it, but I didn't, but I'll read it to you. A defiling of the flesh is one of the things which accompanies the rejecting of the truth. Think about that for a minute. I'm off over here getting defiled. I'm going to be rejecting the truth, aren't I? I'm going to get farther and farther away from it. Jude gives the church here, writing to the church and gives them some critical information, and it's good for us as well, about the defilement of the apostates. It says these dreamers defile. What do they defile? It says the flesh. It's the same word we found in verse 7 that we just read a minute ago. That desire that they have, it's the same word with Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, what does that mean, they defile the flesh? The flesh here, this word, gives us a picture. It's the seat, if you will, the center of carnal appetite and sinful passions. So identifier number one is defilement. And what I would say to that is watch out. I think that's what Jude says. Well, let's move on to identifier number two. It's denouncement. Denouncement. Have you ever heard the saying, actions speak louder than words? There's a lot of truth to that. However, not always 100%. Sometimes they go hand in hand together, actions and words. So we note here in the second part of verse 8 that the, the actions of these apostates, uh, the actions spoke loud along with the words. Their words are also speaking loudly. Look at verse 8 again. Nevertheless, these dreamers likewise defile their flesh, despise authority, and blaspheme glorious beings. So they reject or despise. Think about that for a minute. That, that word means to set aside, to neutralize. Uh, here's a strong one, to do away with. Just, just discount it, do away with it. What? Authority. Now, looking at the context here, what, what is he talking about as he's sharing this with the church? The authority that's being talked about here is ultimately the power of the gospel. And I want you to think about that for a minute. Do you despise, do you set apart the power of the gospel? Secondly, it would refer to the lordship of Christ. Do you despise or reject that, the lordship of Christ? Of course, Lamar, I don't do that. Really? What does Lord mean? He's king over us. I would say occasionally we might do that, huh? So they reject or despise authority, the power of the gospel, the lordship of Christ, and of course the authority of the word of God. Wrestling with what that means. And I want to tell you, any church, any person should not do that. Watch out. It's again as if he's saying, watch out. Let me share with you Acts 20, verses 28 through 31. Acts 20, 28 through 31. Paul's been talking to the Ephesians elder, Ephesian elders, and this is what he says. Be on guard for yourselves, for all the flock that the Holy Spirit has appointed you to as overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Man, that guy could turn a phrase, couldn't he? And look at what, look at what he says. He says, I know that after my departure... Savage wolves, 
Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And men will rise up from your own number with deviant doctrines to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years I did not stop warning each of you with tears. It's as if Paul's saying there, just as well like uh, Jude, watch out, watch out, know the truth, live the truth. You see, apostates will not heed the word of God or honor the word of God. Even recently, a while back, uh, a president of a supposed Christian university, you know where I'm going with that when I say supposed Christian university, he wrote a book and this is what he said, are you ready for this? This is a president, was president of a Christian university. Here's the quote. The authority for our faith should not rest on the Bible alone or even primarily. The simple identification of the word of God with the Bible is a grave mistake. To ascribe infallibility to the written words of the Bible is wrong. The Bible is not an absolute authority. Boy, I'm glad I didn't have a kid going there. I'd want the tuition money back, wouldn't you? Think about that for a minute. Remember, they came in by stealth. And Paul shares they're like among you. And so you, we, we have to watch out for that. And I would say that's true. Whoever stands up here, whether it's me or someone else, guest preacher, you know, we need to watch out. Now, let me do a little sidebar. That doesn't mean we need to be hypercritical. Hello? Okay. If your job is to be hypocritical of what everyone says about the Bible, you're going to miss out on the main thing. Amen? The people that I have known that are hypercritical and looking for if you, you know, even pronounced a word wrong, their life is void of evangelism and discipleship. Okay? So there's a balance there. So as we're digging in, just remember this quote from this guy. That's that's pretty serious, isn't it? We need to be hypercritical of that and jump in on that. But we need to watch out because they come in. And I hate to tell you, but I, I, I've a couple times recently, knowing Judah's coming, I flipped on Christian television. It's like the crazier you are, the longer your TV show can be. I'm like, dude, where did you get that from? Where? Anyway. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Be careful. And some of the books that are coming out, be careful, all that. Well, let's move on, though, as we look at de denouncement. So, so they just don't uh, reject authority. Ultimately, the, the power of the gospel, the lordship of Christ, the authority of the word of God, they do all that. But also, they blaspheme. Maybe you have the word revile in your uh, translation, but they blaspheme. And it says glorious ones. This has been a hard thing for people to understand. Just reading it, they go, what in the world is that? Well, here's a little definition of that. Those who should command, this is what the word means, those who should command our respect and recognition because they occupy high places. And I would just tell you this, you can study it for yourself. Most all scholars view these glorious ones as good angels. That's what most of them do. Okay, again, it's not, it's not the gospel Jesus saves, but that's what they do. And so the lips of the false teacher gives away their true nature. Do you see? Ultimately, the true nature is given away. It's not what's on the outside. It's what's on the inside because they blaspheme these glorious ones. So there's the first two identifiers. 
defilement and denouncement. And then we have a verse kind of stuck in there, and it's really more of an illustration. I call it illustration number one, and it's the words of the archangel. The words of the archangel. Let's look at this. Verse 9. Yet, Michael the archangel, when he was disputing with the devil in a debate about Moses' body, did not dare bring an abusive condemnation against him, but said, and I quote, the Lord rebuke you, exclamation point. This is very interesting to me. Do you ever find a verse in the Bible that's just really interesting to you? You just want to stop and percolate and look at it? Man, this one was very interesting to me. Think about it. Here's what I'd want you to see from this. Think about the stark contrast to the apostate's words, and now we have the archangel and what his words are. Isn't that interesting? Jude illustrates the words of the archangel. We could say the chief angel, Michael. You ever heard of him? Anybody got a Michael in your family? Okay. Wow. That used to be a real popular name. Okay, yeah. But when we see Michael in the Bible, the archangel, the chief angel, I'm going to pay attention when something is being said about him. And so we have the apostates who will revile or who will blaspheme. And then we have Michael who does the opposite. No reviling but respect. Isn't that weird when you think about the subject matter here? Jude goes and tells, are you ready for this? Because some of you got your little Bible uh, teacher antenna up. You're going, what? what? Wait, wait, wait. That's not in the Bible. And I would tell you, Jude tells us right here of an event not recorded in biblical revelation. It's not there. It's not in the canon. It's not in the six, six books. But you know what else I would tell you? Yet, this verse is preserved in Scripture for you and you and you and for me. So it's fine. So the, the person that would be a doubter, he would get, get hung up. Where did this come from? Did it come from an apocryphal, apocryphal book or some other uh, thing outside of Bible literature? Listen, it's in Scripture right here. God's Holy Spirit has preserved it for us to take a look at it. So let's look at this verse. In this verse, Michael took care of all things. I wouldn't have done that, right? I, you'd, you'd been ready. you want to punch the devil, right? You're the archangel, Think about it for a minute. The warrior angel. And what happens? He took care in dealing with the devil. Here in this verse, you tell us that this warrior angel, the angel of angels, the leader, he con- yes, he contended with the devil. Yes, he, he spent time uh, doing that, disputing, if you will, but he wasn't condemning. Isn't that interesting? What, what, what is the example? Remember the stark contrast between the apostate's words and the archangel's words. Warren Wiersbe, I love him, he wisely wrote this. It is, it is a, and I want you to think about this, church. It is a dangerous thing for God's people to confront Satan directly and to argue with him because he is much stronger than we are. If an archangel is careful about the way he deals with the devil, how much more cautious ought we to be? Okay, Lamar, then what am I supposed to do? You don't want me to just to fight the Satan, Satan, the devil? No, our example is right here. What is our example? The Lord rebuke you, 
Not, I'm going to take you on, let's go, I'm going to struggle, no. And I, I've heard too many people say that, even read books, that no, you've got to have a mantra and you just got to uh, take on Satan yourself. What is that? We have an example right here. My Lord, my God, is greater than you, you fallen angel, you created being. The Lord rebuke you. And if you like to say the blood of Jesus, I'm all right with that. But do you see the difference? And we get a good example here. We, we, we send God into the fight instead of us just trying to spend all that time wrestling with Satan. Again, taking us off the main thing. Hey, do you remember the fallen angels from last week that we looked at? Remember those three examples? Sodom and Gomorrah, and Gomorrah were one of them, but we had the fall, fallen um, angels there in verse 6. Unlike those fallen angels, they did not, we talked about it, they did not keep their proper place. Therefore, they're kicked out of heaven. Okay, they didn't keep their proper place. Michael, for whatever reason, it's hard to understand, but Michael here, the archangel, knew his proper place. And it was to say, the Lord rebuke you as he was disputing with the devil. Interesting. I think we see a picture of faithfulness and obedience of the chief angel. If Michael can be subject to the Lord and say, the Lord rebuke you, I think I can. What about you? Yes? Okay. Good. It's an interesting illustration. And what we want to see is what Jude is driving home with this illustration. I believe he's driving home the fact uh, that apostates have no respect or reverence for anything or anyone Nothing is sacred to them. Nothing is holy to them. They would never say the Lord rebuke you. Well, that's a little side there, an illustration. Let's look now at the third and final identifier for today. The third and final identifier is simply the apostates' attitudes. Their attitudes. And we see it in verse 10. But these people blaspheme anything they don't understand. And what they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, they destroy themselves with these things. So we could say their, their attitudes, which leads to their actions. Look at what they're doing. Let's just break this verse down into two things, and here, here they are. The first one is this. They criticize what they do not know. They criticize what they do not know. And then the second part, they're corrupted by what they do know. So they criticize what they do not know, and they're corrupted by uh, what they know. So let's just think about that for a minute. First part of verse 10. Jude tells us that the apostates, they're critical, they're condemning. You see that? There's the word blaspheme there again. Of anything and everything, they speak out of ignorance. Their speech, in fact, is ignorant. It's that simple, church. What they cannot comprehend or understand, they condemn. What they do not understand, they will undermine. And you remember the definition we gave of apostate, either last week or the week before, that picture of it is an apostate may have head knowledge of biblical truth, but they have no heart knowledge. They don't really understand. Okay? An apostate is one who has turned his back to the Word of God and the Son of God. They cannot comprehend, so they criticize. 
in my translation, they blaspheme. That's what they do. So, so this is what they're doing about things they don't know. And you've run across people. That's kind of human nature a little bit, isn't it? Sometimes someone's ignorant about something. Instead of just saying, hey, I'm ignorant about it, they're going to fight and argue and try to do all this. When they, if they just would have said, hey, I'm ignorant, why don't you tell me about it? Then it would have been a much better day for everyone, right? But the second part is they're corrupted by what they do know. Now, this is very interesting. Look at this part. Again, an interesting scriptural verse here. What they know by instinct, remember that word, like unreasoning animals, they destroy themselves with these things. James Merritt, uh, a great uh, pastor example for me, said this, what apostates say and believe are determined by human investigation and philosophical speculation rather than by divine revelation. I like that. I like that. You see, apostates are void of scriptural wisdom, of insight, of discernment, of scriptural understanding. Now, Jude here concedes, though, that they do know some things. But did you catch what their knowledge is limited to? Their knowledge is limited to physical and natural instinct. Now, I want you to think about that. This is going to be a little graphic. I'm sorry, but I want you to think about that for a minute. It, it says, in my translation, like unreasonable animals. Do you know what some scholars would tell you? They act like animals in heat. You ever had a dog? That's all I'm going to say, right? They do anything and everything to accomplish whatever all that is, okay? And here is that strong uh, identifier of, of, of these apostates. You can't talk any sense into them. They got one thing on their mind, if you will, and it's based on natural instinct, not spiritual, physical instinct. Remember, they're compared to Sodom and Gomorrah and not the truth. They will not hear the truth and they will not heed the truth. And then here's the kicker at the end of verse 10. Jude tells us they destroy themselves with these things. Destroy, as you might guess, is a strong word. Wouldn't you say it's a strong word? It is. It means to shrivel, to wither, gets worse, to spoil, to ruin. They ruin themselves with these things. I want to read a couple of scriptures just to illustrate this. 2 Peter 2, 12 and 14. By the way, if you've done a deep dive into Jude, I know some of you have. You're make, I know, you're going to make sure I don't say something dumb, right? Second uh, Peter chapter 2 is a parallel. In fact, some scholars would say, was Second Peter 2 written before Jude, or was Jude written before Second Peter 2? Because it's about false teachers, and they're like cousins, if you will, okay? They go right together. Listen to verses 12 through 14, 2 Peter 2. But these people, think what we've just read, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed, speak blasphemies about these things they don't understand. And in their destruction, they too will be destroyed, suffering harm as the payment for unrighteousness. They consider it a pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, delighting in their deceptions as they feast with you. They're there with you, okay? They have eyes full of adultery and are always looking for sin. They seduce unstable people. They have hearts trained in greed. 
Isn't that amazing? Old Peter writing these under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit matches right up with Jude, a totally different guy, talking about that. Wow. So we really want to think about that identifier number three, the apostates, their attitudes, which leads to their actions. One more verse I want to give you is 1 Corinthians 2.14. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man, you know what that means? Christ is not Lord in his life. The, the natural man does not welcome what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to know it since it is evaluated spiritually. Are we familiar with that? So let me just tell you right now, let's just, just take a little sidebar. We, at one time, all of us were natural men or women or boys or girls, right? We were lost. Don't, don't ever forget you were once lost and now you've been found. You guys too, you got it? I was once lost and then I was found. It is God who saves our natural inclination. The moment sin entered into paradise way back with grandpa and grandma, you remember them? When it happened, we have that natural tendency, that sin nature, and we are separated from God. And yet God loves us, and he loves us and has a purpose for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one, one and only son that whoever believes in him, what? Should not perish, but have eternal life. But we were natural. Don't forget that church. Don't think, I must have had something to do with it. I've been a Christian all these years. No, we, we didn't. We, we were this person, and we didn't welcome what came from God's Spirit. It was foolishness to us. We didn't know about it. But aren't you glad somebody shared the good news of Jesus Christ with you? Amen? How many of you can remember? Maybe you can't. I can remember. How many of you can remember who shared the good news of Jesus Christ with you? Put them up. Look around, folks. You don't all have to put them up. Look at that. Do you understand? Man, I'm about to cry. Do you understand the significance of telling someone the good news? That you're separated from sin, that God loves you and has a purpose for you, and there's a, a, only one bridge that'll get you over here with holy God, and it's Jesus, the cross of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, and what he did. That is good news because we don't have to be separated. God has this rescue plan. You know what's hard in my life, and I bet in your life, and it grieves me? That old man at boys' camp, I'm not going to tell you what year. It was a long time ago. You know how old I was. <laughs> that man who spent all week in the cabin with us boys, and I was a terror, and so were some of the other guys, was there when the light bulb went on in my young brain about sin and oh, I'm a sinner separate from God he was there I don't even know his name he was there to share with me the good news and guys I want to be honest with you I miss opportunities sometimes do you God gives us opportunities to share the good news and we forget that someone shared it with us and we don't share it God help me not to be any more academic God, if it takes me not learning anything else and you propel me out to just share, 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 God, I'd rather have that. Do whatever it takes, God, to get me off my rear end and to take advantage of the opportunity to have spiritual eyes. 
We're in the same boat together, folks. We miss opportunities. But how about we have maybe one this week? Wouldn't that be amazing? All those that raise your hand, raise it again. I want to see it. Remember who shared the gospel with you. You can put them down. And think, I need to do that with someone else. Whew, I feel better. But think about that. That verse, we just think, oh, yeah, those apostates, those faulty. Hey, we were natural men and women at one time. It was foolishness to us, but we heard the gospel. God gave us faith to repent, and he came in and saved us. Isn't that awesome? I thought I might get an amen. I think I went too long on that point, or I would have got an amen. Some of you are like, amen, but move on, brother. Okay. Now, I want you to hear that, and those of you watching online, you need to hear that. It's good news. Good news means there's bad news. Bad news is you're separated from God, and when you die, you'll go straight to hell for eternity and be absent from God and anything that is even good. Bad news, but there's good news. God has a rescue plan. So back here to Jude as we think about what do we do? Okay, Lamar, great. These guys are doing all kinds of stuff that's no good. They're denouncing, they're blaspheming, their actions and attitudes are horrible, there's defilement, what are we to do? I was reminded of the first part of Romans chapter 3, verse 4. It's just a few words, are you ready? What are we to do when we're confronted by this? Here it is, Romans 3, first part of 4. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. Is that simple enough? Let's not make it complex. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. So here it is. What are we to do? You can depend on God and on his word as truth, and I can as well. Let me ask you a few questions in closing, just for you to think about. Don't require an answer. Out loud, anyway. Can you spot an imposter? Can you spot him? Can you detect a spiritual fake? Are you ready to defend the faith, contend for the truth that has been once for all delivered to the saints? That's what Scripture says. Let me get a little more personal. Are you a true believer? Or have you turned your back on the faith? Have you rejected the Lord Jesus Christ? And I want to close with three applications. They should be in your sermon notes there at the bottom of the page. It's as if Jude has been saying, watch out, watch out, watch out. And here it is, verse 8. Watch out, watch the sins of rebellion. Because that's what these dreamers are doing. And what I would say to that is, church, we need to be careful not to be defiled not to be defiant, and not to be disrespectful. Not to let any of that creep into our lives. So watch out. Good example, verse 8, the sins of rebellion. Verse 9, watch out for the sins of arrogance. We need to know our place in God's kingdom. Are you aware of that? Are you aware of that? Some Christians go around and they think they're judge jury and executioner have you noticed that whoa we need to know what at the sin of arrogance uh, an example right here is as uh, uh, michael was dealing with with satan know our place in god's kingdom 
And perhaps more importantly, know our power is in God's authority, not us. It's in God's authority. So we've got to watch out for that arrogance. And then number 10, uh, verse 10, excuse me, watch out for the sins of ignorance. Like these guys didn't understand and they would condemn. And I would just say to this, church, we need to guard our mouth and we need to guard our mind so that we're not ignorant to the truth. And when we're not ignorant to the truth and we know it, we need to be humble about it and not be arrogant and we need to contend for it even in the area of someone who's in rebellion, who's falsely teaching or who is an apostate. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for these few short verses here in this little book of the Bible. Wow. God, I'm just reminded that not only are there identifiers here for apostates, but Lord, there are identifiers of those who are true followers of you, who have been regenerated, been saved by you, God. And my prayer today is that people today, right here in this room and online, would, would just do a survey of their life and that just would ask you, am I a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do I have that personal relationship with him? Would you take a moment and just ask the Lord? And God, I pray you would reveal that to us and that you would provide assurance to those who are believers and that you would just draw those that are wondering just right up next to you, God, as we know Scripture says you do, and that you would just, God, you give them the faith right now to repent and turn from their life and turn to you, that, God, you would save people. We ask for that. And God, we ask for those of us who are believers, followers, disciples in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would handle truth well, that we would contend for truth. God, that we would be receptive to you strengthening our faith through sometimes circumstances, Lord, sometimes other Christians. And primarily, God, that you would do that through your word. And so, God, I pray that we would do that well. But as we do that, we would have an eye on the main thing. God, that you would present opportunities for us to share the good news to someone else, like others did for us. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to have a, a short time of uh, response be some folks down here with me. Uh, let's stand there in this time. We give you just another moment to spend time with the Lord. Allow Him to speak to you right now. We would love to pray with you. If you've got a decision or a question, you come forward and we'll do that right now. But right where you are, would you just spend a moment with the Lord? No preacher talking, just you and the Lord. God, teach me right now. Let's do that.
Oh, God, we thank you for speaking into our hearts and lives right now, for customizing your word right into our lap. We're grateful for that. God, may we be receptive. May, may we be submitted to you as you teach us and you lead us as you guide us. And we're so grateful for the opportunity, the privilege, the responsibility to gather together to praise you, to pray to you, and to proclaim your word. So thank you for this sacred time that we have each week. And God, I just thank you for everyone that's here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>